Well, good morning, church. And thank you, worship team. Blessed assurance. We're continuing in our study of great passages of Scripture. Happy Father's Day. Uh, I mentioned that to grandfathers and fathers and great-grandfathers. It's nice to have you here with us this morning and our guests as well. We're going to look at a familiar psalm, Psalm 1. And uh, it's the first psalm. Uh, I indicate in the sermon uh, proper introduction. There's a couple things that we're going to learn about this psalm this morning uh, that you may know or may not know. uh, One is um, the theme of blessing uh, that finds its way throughout this passage. And then there's going to be another main theme that I'll uh, address later on this morning uh, that may not be uh, something that is as is obvious to us as we kind of work through this passage, okay? Um, so if you'll stand with me this morning, we'll read this passage. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. You may be seated. Throughout Scripture, there are passages that elucidate things that are blessings versus things that are a curse. Boys and girls that are joining us here this morning, we often hear our parents say, if you do what I tell you to do, something good will happen, right? If you do not do what I tell you to do, something good may not happen. But in Scripture, the stakes are much higher. And We see throughout Scripture examples, including this psalm, where there are contrasts. And this morning we'll see blessed, the way of the blessed in in comparison with the way of the individual that's not blessed and the wicked. For instance, we see Deuteronomy 11.26, Moses, before Israel goes into uh, the, the promised land, set forth a warning. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandment of the Lord your God, which I command you today, that's the good part. Here's the bad. And curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And of course, for those of us who have studied the Old Testament and are familiar with it, Israel does not heed that warning. Uh, they do not. They do go after other gods, and and there are dire consequences for those actions. We can look, for instance, in the New Testament, where Christ is talking to a crowd in Matthew seven twenty four through twenty seven. 
Here's what he says. He says, you know, there are going to be those who hear the words of God and do them, and then there are going to be those that hear the words of God and do not do them. And here's the difference. Here's the upshot. The ones that do not will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. And Christ will say, I never knew you. So we need to stand up and take notice when we see these dichotomies in Scripture. It's a blessing from the Lord. It's a warning that he's giving us in his gracious mercy uh, that there's something important in the text that we need to stand up and take note of. So we start out Psalm 1 talking about the blessed. That term blessed in, in uh, Psalm verse 1 is a term called ashreah. And that term actually refers to uh, happiness, a blessing that provides spiritual happiness or, or contentedness. It actually is in the plural, which indicates that it's not just talking about a blessing or a specific blessing, it's actually referring to multiple blessings given to this one over their life. Um, we see a similar connotation uh, in the Greek in uh, the Beatitudes, uh, where Christ is given, uh, blessed is the one, blessed is the one. It's, very, it's a very similar context to, the, to what uh, the psalmist is getting at in this particular passage. For instance, uh, John 13, 17, that's a passage where Christ is washing the feet of his disciples uh, as, a, as an example of his, his, his love and servitude. And he indicates to them, you do likewise uh, and you will be blessed. And what he's referring to there are multiple blessings ongoing if they will follow his command and, um, and his example that he's giving to them in the upper room. So back to this particular psalm, there's a blessedness that comes from two things. One, not being or walking in step with a world system in a certain way. And then the second that's provided in verse two that we'll look at in a little more detail this morning is a blessedness that comes to those who delight in the law of the Lord. And that's something that we'll dig into a little bit more this morning. I want to show you a slide here that represents a thought process that I know that I've had, and I'm sure many others of us have sort of thought about as we've approached a passage like this. It's the, it's the thought that we're all standing in a neutral place, staring at two potential paths. Which one do I go to? Do I go the path on the right, the way of the blessedness, the way of the righteous, or do I go the other way, the way of the world system? There's some assumptions we make when we approach a passage of scripture like this with that sort of mindset. Um, we assume, for example, that we're able to decipher the path on our own without any outside help. Steve, I know what's right and what's wrong. I've lived long enough to be able to tell the good eggs from the bad, to stay away from certain places, to mingle with only certain types of crowds. If I just do that, 
I should be okay, right? Well, let me challenge that for you this morning through Scripture, uh, that maybe it's not that easy. Maybe it's a combination of avoiding the world system along with delighting in the law that is required. <clears throat> First of all, let's, let's look at this concept of our carnal mind being able to decipher spiritual truths. Anybody remember Nicodemus in John chapter 3 trying to process the spiritual truths that Christ was giving to him? Remember, remember that? You shall be born again. Nicodemus, probably the most learned man in the religious system at that time, just could not comprehend what he was being told. Throughout the, throughout the New Testament, Christ again and again is feeding spiritual truths to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees, and they missed it grossly. Not just a little bit, a lot. Um, for instance, one example is John 8. They're mocking Christ as he's indicating that he's the chosen one, he's the son of God. And he indicates at one point that I am going to some place you will not be able to go, indicating his resurrection, indicating he's going back to where he came from. They were so wrong that they thought it was an example of him saying that he was taking his life. You know, I think about Acts 2, when Peter is, is speaking to uh, the Israelites and when he lays out the gospel for them, uh, do you remember what happened? They, 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 they were afraid. They came to a realization that they had been grossly wrong about his ministry and about who he was. It actually says in there, I believe, it cut, cut them to the heart. Uh, and so, you know, one of the things that we need to be cautious about is we sh should not overestimate somehow our ability to be able to, to decipher these spiritual truths without outside help. And I would argue that that outside help would be the, the work of the Spirit and, and the work of Scripture. There's a, there's a proverb, 14:12, and it says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is a way to death. See that? There are things that we fool ourselves into thinking or have spiritual and eternal significance that do not. Uh, therefore, relying on ourselves to be able to make these determinations is a dangerous approach to living a blessed life. The entire book of Ecclesiastes relies on this premise, the premise that man, somehow in his wisdom, is able to decipher a meaningful, long-lasting, eternal way in this life. And in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, we think it's Solomon, indicates that those are all dead ends. All of those paths, they're dead ends. And so with that in mind, we need to be careful that we can somehow decipher in and of ourselves the correct path. Something else to think about. We all enter this world walking on one of those two paths, don't we? Walking in last step with the world. Let me give you a couple examples from Paul. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you want to turn there with me this morning, I think that's a good, 
example of what we're approaching here is that's Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. And it says, And you were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, the sons of disobedience, among who we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Let me say that again. Among who we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So when we think of this sort of picture, putting ourselves on a neutral platform in light of what's being presented here, we, we should be careful. Our default operating system is not neutral. It's something much different, as this passage in Ephesians indicates. But I've changed my ways. I'm no longer on that path. Now I've switched. Well, Paul also warns in Romans 7 that we very much have the capability and the instincts to go back to this world system again and again and again. So I say we need help outside of ourselves, don't we? Something else needs to come save us from this We can think of examples all the time that sound like they would be correct or right that don't necessarily have spiritual significance. For instance, the world is telling us to go out there and grab your destiny, right? By the horns. Well, what is, what is spiritual truth telling us? Well, spiritual truth is telling us that we are to humble ourselves before our heavenly Father, loving others, as Christ loved us. Or how about for all of our workaholics out there, right? Building our professional kingdoms, rising to the top. That's not, work is not necessarily a bad thing. Actually, there's, there's some benefits to hard work, but where's God's order for our life in that? Are we taking time away from work to devote to worship and to study of scripture? Are we maybe skipping a work meeting to check in on a brother or sister, spend time with our children, spend time with our spouses. As Paul indicates in Ephesians, our instinct is to go with the world. So what are we to do? Can we rely on ourselves to avoid this world system? I, I don't think so. I think we need something else. And something else inherent in this particular psalm as we look at it this morning, I want you to notice something as you go to Psalm 1, verse 1. Look at this. It starts out that we walk in step with the wicked. Maybe we're just marking time along with them. No one is noticing. But then what happens? The walking stops. Now we are standing in that way, the way that the sinners take. We're now firmly rooted in the world system and in the sin that complements that system. Then finally, what happens? Now we're sitting. We're no longer standing. We're, we're in it. 
We're sitting in the company of mockers. Not only are we standing with sinners, we have now taken our seat with those that actually mock Christianity. You know, sometimes I think of it as a a situation where we're on a river rather than a path getting carried along. You know, we have this light right on on the bank of the river that we see, that truth. Then we take our eyes off of it and the world system is pulling us along. A couple months down the road, we look back to the shore, that light has gotten a little less bright. We're back in the world system again, getting floating along. It gets weaker and weaker. And, and then finally, at a certain point, we turn and look for the light. It's no longer there. Not only can we not find our way back, but now we're fully ensconced in the world system, mocking those that would even dare to follow that. We wonder about that. Isn't that always strange to us, how someone that sits with us on Sunday mornings and is in, seems to be in the Word could somehow be one of the fiercest advocates against it? Well, the psalmist seems to indicate that it's death by a thousand razor cuts. It's someone that continues to immerse themselves in the world philosophy and the world system until they get lost. Paul talks about this a little bit in in Ephesians. He says in Ephesians 5.15, we need to look carefully how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of our time, because the days are evil, and we are not to be foolish, but we are to do what? Understand what the will of the Lord is. First Peter 5.8, Peter indicates the following. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There's a danger with remaining rooted in the world system, with going along with the tide of the world system. We need help. In and of ourselves, Who are we to stand against this prowling lion, this roaring lion? How do we, we, what is the answer to building something of eternal significance so we are not snatched away with the clutches of this lion? Well, Galatians 5, 24 through through 25 indicates the following, that those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified with the sinful nature, with its passion, its desires. And since we live by the Spirit, we are to do what? Keep in step with the Spirit. We're given the Spirit as a gift to help us. We're given the law to instruct us in that. So let's take a look at this law then this morning. It talks about delighting in the law of the Lord and those who are meditating on the law of the Lord. You know, at the time that this was written, It was a much smaller scripture than what we're dealing with today, isn't it? It was the Pentateuch, it was five books of the Bible. We can think of some of those books that we're not sure we would want to meditate on the law of. Uh, There's a lot of punitive law in in, in those first five books. Uh, They may have been reading something like what Pastor Trigg was talking about last week in Deuteronomy 6, right? 6-2, that you may fear the, the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son by keeping all of his statutes and commandments. Martin Luther had an interesting uh, uh, segment on how a blessed man approaches the law. And he said 
that, that man does not look at what the law promises nor at what it threatens, but at this only, that the law is holy and just and good. Some of you may say, I'm just not interested in the Old Testament law. Give me the gospel, <clears throat> the message of love. I would rather meditate on that law or on the love for each other and, and for mankind. Isn't that really the true source of happiness? To which I will let Jesus respond in John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Christ is indicating here that he's going to love and, and, and abide in, in, in those that you know, abide and delight in his commandments and his law. He also indicates in Matthew 5, 17 through 24, the following regarding the law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not one dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the last of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in, king, in the kingdom of heaven. All of the law is applicable here for blessedness. It has just as much importance today as it did in the time of the psalmist of Psalm 1. And I will say within the Psalms, this concept of delighting in the law is throughout. Let's take a look at one passage in particular that really drives this home. And it's in Psalm 119. So if you want to turn there with me this morning. Psalm 119 verses 97 through 106. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path. Sound familiar? So that I may obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. It sounds like he's delighting in the law, doesn't it? I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. So here's what we do. Notice here how David is talking about the nature of his study of this. It's better than his teachers. He's looking directly to the testimony of God and holds it well above any man-made commentary on the matter. You yourself have taught me. You see that in there? You yourself have taught me. This humble servant, David, is coming to, a, he realizes he's coming to a source of much higher and sweeter wisdom than what the world can provide. Understanding its importance 
and meditating on it. Notice this. He says it's sweet, and he also says he realizes the need to always have it near. Hear hear this. Your commands are always near me. You see that in there? It's always near me. It's It's his life raft. It's his lifeblood. He needs to have this by him at all times. And he also mentions meditation. He talks about meditating here, which is also uh, mentioned in in Psalm 1. I I delight in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. What is that term? What is that? Do we meditate on scripture? What does that mean? Well, the term that is mentioned here is a term that indicates mumbling or, or, or muttering. And I want to give you a, a, an example that may, may drive this home a little bit. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was standing in the kitchen. I thought by myself, and I felt this little hand come up and tap me on the back. Daddy, who are you talking to? Have you ever done that? Have you ever been standing there having some sort of conversation with yourself, not realizing that maybe other people are listening in? I do it more often than I'd like to admit. And generally, it's, there's a couple things that are, that are probably happening. One, I'm either thinking about a conversation that I had that did not go well, so I'm thinking how I would have done it uh, if I had a do-over. Or I'm thinking about a conversation that I'm about to have, nervous about what I'm about to say, so I'm processing what I need to uh, think about. And I get so enwrapped in the importance of that moment that all else goes away, all else fades away. My focus is just on that. And so it is with meditation and scripture. Are we focusing our and meditating on Scripture this way? It's not just rote memorization, that's good, but it is actually blocking out everything else that is going on and muttering to ourselves again and again, what does this mean? What does this truth mean for me in my life? What is this about? How does this apply, Lord? Humbling yourself before that, what is, what is it that you want me to know about this? Is that what we're doing? Let me ask you, is your relationship with Scripture of Bible, is it one of delight? Why not? What is holding you back from going all in? By the way, not walking in step with the world in delighting in meditating on the law to discover God's plan for you go hand in hand. Do you see that? You can't have one without the other. It's an active endeavor to continue to seek out and clarify God's will, which enlightens us on which steps we are to avoid. Is it enough just to get scripture once a week here on a Sunday morning? Are you meditating on what you're hearing here? Are you delighting in it? Perhaps you are thinking, I don't understand it. May I exhort you to to plead with God to give you insight? 
mumble it, meditate on it, pray on it, come to it with humility. And I'm talking about the kind of humility that Job had in light of Christ and God talking to him about where he was at the beginning when everything was being created. This is given to us from above. This is important. This is sweet to us. God does not require your intellectual prowess to give you blessing any more than he did his uneducated disciples that surrounded his son. Or are you coming to scripture with some sort of intellectual curiosity, you know, amongst all the other world religions that I'm studying and different man-made philosophies on what it means to be human? I'm also going to include scripture along with that study. I'm not saying that we don't use our minds, but what I am saying is that in delighting in this law, we're seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance, recognizing that this is the truth. This is what we need for our lives to receive the blessedness that's being referred to here in Psalm 1. Or maybe you're saying to yourself, well, hold on. I've been saved by grace. So what is this? What are, what are we, what are we, what am I doing here? Well, to that, I'm going to, the Apostle Paul is ready to receive you, and I'm going to uh, refer to Romans 6 in this, verse 17. Let me read this to you. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. So Paul's acknowledging here that we have limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, right? This is walking in step with the, with the wicked, into lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. It just gets worse and worse, right? So here's the opposite. Now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. I thought it would be interesting to take a look at a pastor uh, by the name of Tom, Thomas Boston, who was a Scottish pastor in the 1700s, and how he approached, there was a, there was a movement uh, at that time uh, that was a seeker-oriented movement. Um, he was railing against the notion that things needed to be adjusted to fill the pews, and wrote a book called A Soliloquy on the Art of Man Fishing. And there, there's a couple, he goes back and forth with a couple arguments that were being made at that time. I, don't, I want you to get a feel for when we're talking about the dichotomy between carnal wisdom and spiritual wisdom, that this is the type of meditation and this is the type of fruit that we're, we're looking for or that we're talking about. So let's take a look. There he is. One of the arguments that was being made at the time was work diligently for fluent and eloquent speech. Fine style very much appeals to the learned. Without it, they will think nothing of your preaching. Well, that sounds okay, right? I mean, we should be polished. We need to connect with our audience on Sunday mornings. Well, look what he says to this. I thought this was interesting. Christ sent you to preach the gospel not with words of eloquent wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.17. Do not preach with lofty speech or wisdom. 1 Corinthians 2.1. Here's another, here's another example. 
Attempt to be somewhat smooth and calm in your preaching. Do not attack the particular sins of, of the land or, the person to, or, or of the person to whom you preach, okay? <clears throat> Here's his answer to that. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins, Isaiah 58.1. Better is open rebuke than hidden love, Proverbs 27.5. See the subtle differences? You will be perceived as a fool, as a monster, and so lose your reputation and prestige. You need to preserve that. Men will hate and abhor you. Why should you expose yourself to such things? To which uh, Thomas says, if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. 1 Corinthians 3.18. We have become a spectacle to the world. We are fools for Christ's sake. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you, right? John 15, 18. So, so the remainder of this psalm is talking about what this blessed person looks like, what this is all about. We looked at the blessedness of not walking along in the world system in the delight of the, the person that meditates on the Lord day and night and on his law. And so... In this fruit, we can see some things here that um, <clears throat> this individual is, is a, like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. You can see how it's planted by the stream. It's by that spiritual nourishment at all times. And um, there's some, it talks about the fruit of the season. One of the things about the fruit of the season, it's unique to that individual. It's the perfect fruit that comes at the right time when it's needed in accordance with the Holy Spirit's wishes. We've had a, the market's had a rough week. I don't know if anybody's noticed that. <laughs> Anybody looking for some investment advice? Well, the psalmist has some for us here, and it's, it's just this, in, in, in I w- want to point out here in verse 3, that whatever they do prospers. This is the blessing of one who is in lockstep with the Spirit, delights in the law of the Lord, doesn't engage themselves in the, the world system. Guess what happens? They are successful in everything they do. For the Lord, for the Lord's kingdom, right? You say, Steve, I'm not prospering in certain areas of my life. I could use a newer car. I could use more money in the bank account. That's not the kind of prospering that he's talking about, is it? I mean, that's nice if the Lord blesses us that way, but that's not what this is. This is somebody who prospers in whatever they do. Put it in the bank. It will always be there. That is a promise and a blessing. What we're talking about here in this psalm is investing our lives in things of eternal significance. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 3.11 it talks about no one can lay a foundation other than that is, which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
And then it talks about different types of foundation, the foundations of gold, the foundations of silver, precious stones, and then we get into wood and straw, maybe chaff. It doesn't stand up to the fire. It doesn't stand up to the judgment. It's ultimately burned away. What are we investing our time in? Are we going along with the world system? Are we seeking the Lord's guidance for things of eternal significance, delighting that those things are actually in his word? Let me ask you something else. I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that there are two introductions that are made here. One is the introduction of the blessed man. We also see what happens for the wicked man who doesn't follow this. Who do you think that this passage is describing? Who is Psalm 1 describing? Who is the man that never walked in meter with the world system, that delighted in the law of the Lord, that prospered in everything that he did, that was considered blessed by his heavenly Father? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who this is describing, in my opinion. If you look at Psalm 2, Psalm 2 talks about a king, a promised king. And sometimes Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are actually preached together as the introduction. John 5.39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness to me. I think this is an Old Testament manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can say amen that we have the example of Christ throughout the gospel for us to study as a man who did not walk with the wicked and step with the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners. We see in our study of John how he continued to rail against that world system. A lot of it in the name of religion and so on. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness and lost in his love. Let's let the words of, in the blessedness of Psalm 1 be our story. Let this be our song. Let us delight in the law of the Lord. Let us walk in step with the Spirit. And as a result, let us feel the contentedness, the spiritual happiness that comes as a result of taking these commands seriously. Dear Lord, We thank you for our fathers this morning. We thank you for our grandfathers. We thank you for our heavenly father. Lord, we're convicted that at times we have been guilty of being cavalier before your word. And this morning we are going to commit to you that we understand that there is no other way 
to not get ensconced in the world system. We have to have your spiritual truth, Lord, nurturing us, feeding us all of the time. Lord, will you just pray that your Holy Spirit guides us in that process, keeps us from getting carried along in the undercurrent of the world system. It is so tempting, Lord. There are so many things uh, about the world that are, that are beautiful, that are lovely, uh, that seem beautiful and lovely, that are, are, are not of eternal significance. And, and uh, candidly, uh, at, at times we have all been guilty of following paths leading and tributaries leading to dead ends. So Lord, with that in mind, hold us, keep us. Uh, we, just, we just thank you for the, the, the promise of the blessedness that you give us. If we just would follow your instruction and delight in the law that you've provided to us graciously, not punitively, not as some sort of legalistic approach, but as a way to experience the fullness in some way here on earth that you, that you would have for us to feel that love. Uh, Lord, we just, we thank you for that. We thank you for these great passages of scripture that we, that we are able to focus on as a congregation throughout the summer. Let it be a challenge to us to, to uh, go back to these passages, to focus on what the meaning it is that you would have for us uniquely uh, so that we may uh, uh, serve you uh, the way you, you would want us to be served with, with fruit that is in season, Lord. That's what we're looking uh, to produce for, for the furtherance of your kingdom. In your precious name we pray, amen.